Welcome to another week of the Bottom Year Podcast. Um, a week in which it was another sort of glorious defeat for Bottom Year. Um, lost 15-18 to Curry in, in quite terrible conditions. And Bottom Year are, are a young team and it is a step forward from where we were last year. But is it satisfying to have made that step forward or is it more frustrating that we're not quite beating the Melroses and the Currys? I think, to be honest, Simon, it's both. I think we have made very significant strides forward from last season. I mean, the, te- the way Melrose are playing this season, last season they'd have rolled us over. Indeed, they did, um, as did Curry. This time, we could have won both matches, but having said that, we lost both. Um, it's difficult to take to very, very narrow defeats, it's difficult to take, but at the same time there's massive potential moving forward, it's just a case of when we turn that potential into into victories Yeah, I mean, I suppose possibly the biggest difficulty with going through this building process with, with you know, creating a young team and, and building on it as kind of the finances say we have to is that are you ever quite going to realise the potential of that side because maybe a year or two before they get to that and they get to be a league winning side, they get picked up by the pro teams? Well, it's always a possibility, but the same factor faces all of the Premier One teams. Um, you know, we can't claim to be a special case in that circumstance. Everyone's the same. I mean, Heriot's are having a really poor season by their standards at the moment. Um, but if you look over the last few years, they've lost some, some really good players to the pro teams. I mean, Melrose, everyone expected uh, Scott White's move to Glasgow to have a detrimental effect on Melrose. But, hey, not so far. <laughs> yeah, they, they picked up uh, Skeen and he's certainly, certainly done well so far. Um, on Saturday, it was really the first 20 minutes that lost us the match, wasn't it? You know, we conceded two silly tries... I think we did, and I think that's the biggest frustration of all. I can take the fact that we're getting close to teams and not quite converting it into victory. Um, that's that's hard to take for players, for coaches, for supporters, for everyone involved with the club. But <coughs> what I do find difficult is that we're still giving away tries. I mean, Curry. You know, credit to Curry. I don't want to try and not curry or take anything away from them because it's all very well saying we miss tackles. They've got to put themselves in positions where we do miss the tackles yeah. and it matters. And and Curry certainly did that. And on a couple of occasions they had good attacks but we let them let that's probably the wrong word, but we were unable to stop them breaking through. You know, we didn't make the first up tackles. And like a lot of the top teams in the league, you know, once they're behind the defence, yeah. then they're very, very powerful. I mean, the second try, Ali tried to, to knock the ball out of play, just didn't get enough purchase on it. It fell over the line, and Curry were the quickest to react. Yeah, I mean, when, when they've got runners like Mansfield, Forbes, and Dougie Fife, they, they are going to punish you if you don't make those first up tackles. I mean, the first try came from... Nobody laid a hand on Dougie Fife when he got the ball in midfield, and he just went straight through. Well, that's it. And for for probably seventy five out of the eighty minutes, we made the first up tackles, 
but it's just that couple of little lapses. And Fergus said it himself when I, when I spoke to him after the game. You know, he, he talked about a couple of crucial mistakes, a couple of crucial mistakes against Melrose the week before. We nearly let Sterling back into the game by missing tackles. We did let Gala run away with the game by missing tackles. It's just that, you know, those couple of crucial mistakes. It's not to say we can't tackle. We proved against Curry we really can tackle. We put some tremendous hits in. I think special mention has to go to to um, the pack. Oh, for, for the sheer force of work that they got through defensively. I think the pack put a tremendous effort in, and not just defensively, but on the attack as well. They, they got us some really good ball that we were, you know, unfortunate at times not to convert into scores. So it isn't bad play over a period of time it's just little maybe lapses in concentration at key moments that are letting the opposition through and that is probably something we can close down yeah I think that comes with experience largely doesn't it you know the the, the knowledge of how to play those big moments yes I think so and I think you know we do have as you pointed out a number of youngsters in the team and I think they will they will get better. I mean, Curry rushed us. They, they employed a rush defence. We didn't really deal with it. We tried at times to kick over, but some of the kicks were a bit... Poorly executed. It. Poorly executed, yeah. They seemed a bit more in hope than in expectation. When we did put in good kicks, we put them in trouble. Yeah, I mean, certainly the way we were putting pressure on them in the scrum and in the line-out, the kick wasn't necessarily a bad idea, but we were either kicking too long or... Yeah, yeah we straight just, to the man. Or. We just didn't quite get it right, but it's very, very close to coming together. I think it's it's sort of habit at these times to say, "Oh, someone's going to catch a wallop in." I don't actually think that's particularly the case. I think if we can just keep improving that little bit week on week. I mean, we go to Millbrae, you know, that's, maybe that's an opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I think if we keep taking those little steps. Uh, and, and getting close to these teams, and then eventually being able to beat these teams, then you start saying, "Well, we're going into seasons looking up, not down." Absolutely. I mean, confidence is a tremendous thing for the players, and certainly after the performance against Melrose, you could see that the players felt they could take Curry, they could they could really compete against Curry, and frankly, we did. We really competed against Curry, just didn't quite go over the line. I think one aspect of the game which has to be mentioned um, is the inconsistent to possibly put it nicely performance of the referee Andrew McMenemy well I think you know it's it would be churlish not to say that I thought he had a really poor day um, all the media all the press have, have said the same and I, I'm not in any way suggesting that he was unfair I don't think he was I think he made mistakes that benefited Boromir, I think he made mistakes that harmed Boromir, and Curry would say the same, and we had a group of Curry supporters near where we were filming from, and, you know, they, except they thought, for instance, that Ian Moody had scored, in the same way as we thought Curry had scored on the kick through. (laughs) I agree with your match report that actually, there was a knock on the left side before there, but how he... But having having not awarded those it was a poor decision to then disallow the try for a knock-on that simply didn't exist. It, well, uh, as the Scotsman said, if he was the only person in the game in the ground that saw the knock-on, 
Um, I did think he had a, an inconsistent game, let's call it that. And, you know, I, he probably didn't affect the result because he made inconsistent <laughs> decisions against both teams. So it probably didn't affect the result. But it stopped the what flow the game had from being there. But it was... It was a tremendous game. I mean, both teams gave their all. Both teams were 100% committed. Curry got the bragging rights this time. We've got to wait and have them next time. Yeah, I think it gives us confidence for, for when we go to Millennium Park later in the season. Well, if we, if we go to Millennium in the second half of the season, I'll travel much more optimistically than I have over the last couple of years. Well, moving on, after this brief musical interlude, we'll have our weekly World Cup discussion. Looking ahead to, to the World Cup semi-finals and looking back to the quarter-finals, the first thing is the French are still there. <laughs> they are. I, I, I think I said last week. You know, do they have any chance at all? Um, I did think England would just kind of grind them to death, but the start that England made, they looked very, very nervous. France hit the ground running and playing the sort of rugby that you love to see France play. Yeah, I think the biggest danger was in the second half when France went into their shell yeah. um, and, and stopped playing the expansive rugby, stopped taking the chance and seemed to want to hold what they had. And England, you know, got close without ever playing really good rugby. They got close, but I always felt that, that France possibly could have, probably could have stepped it up again. Had they needed to, I think, f- for looking at it f- from an England point of view, they're going to be hugely frustrated because both of the French tries were eminently stoppable. Had England just, like Bonnier, made their tackles, you know, the first try, four men missed Vincent Clerc in in quick succession. I think that's a very valid point, and I think also, you know, we've been critical of our own team and said, you know, missing tackles isn't what we should be doing but you know we're not the only guys in the world that <laughs> yeah, can you look at the World Cup and the best players in the world are doing <coughs> so you know I mean England did they just they as you say like Bonomio they lost that concentration they let it slip for a few seconds and France being France well they yeah. took advantage I think the, the, the thing for me and the thing why I still still don't think France will win the World Cup is they need to do the, the most unfrench of things which is to put th- together three consistent performances. Well, yes, you're, you're right in that, but let's talk a little bit about Wales. I mean, how good are Wales? Certainly they beat an Ireland team that came off the back of a good victory over Australia. Um, and They made South Africa sweat. For they made South Africa sweat, and talking to a number of Irishmen over the last few days... Everyone concedes Ireland were beaten by a better team. There was no two ways about it. Wales were the better team. But they blow hot and cold as well, you know. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think, um, whilst they did push South Africa very hard, they weren't at the sparkling best in the rest of the group fixtures. That's right. Um, I think they're going to need Sam Warburton to play as he did against Ireland. He was outstanding. Uh, you know, tackled everything that moved, was, was brilliant at the breakdown. And I think he needs to be the one to stamp dominance over the game. I'm not, I'm not sure the French back row will allow that. 
I, I think the French back row is a very, very good unit. Um, I think any any unit can be beaten on the day. Of course. Um, so, and I think if Wales are going to win, they're going to need to win the breakdown, and, and I think Warburton's going to be key. I agree with what you say, but I'm still I'm still there with France. Yeah, I think actually looking at the strengths of the two teams, I do think France will win the semi final. I think so. Um, even with Morgampara at ten, I don't think he will be. <laughs> I think he'll pick Tranduk at ten. Tranduk certainly controlled the last yeah. part of the game when he came on. I thought, thought it was a very good move to bring him on at, when he did. And I, if I were in charge of France, I would certainly start him. But I don't know. He's from on who can tell. Well, we'll we'll have to <laughs> wait and see, won't we? But that certainly that makes for a fascinating semi-final. Um, the Northern Hemisphere semi-final and the other half of the draw. Of course, we've got the uh, the Southern Hemisphere semi-final. Got the bloody look up. Indeed, so yeah. <laughs> I mean, New Zealand obviously put Argentina away with Relative without comfort. too much difficulty. Yeah. I don't think there was ever a point where Argentina really looked like they were going to cause an upset. No, there wasn't. But whilst some New Zealanders put in very good performances, I wasn't wholly convinced by them. I thought, you know, maybe I've got a downer on New Zealand, I don't know, but I didn't think they they particularly got into top gear. No, and I've still got my doubts about whether they can do that under pressure. Yeah, I think they certainly looked like they need to adjust to the loss of Carter. Yes. I think that's going to be huge for them and could be the difference between whether they win or, or not. And I think it makes the semi-final against Australia... For me, too close to call. I, I, I really don't. Well, I think the thing that my view on on New Zealand is having lost Carter, and I'm I'm just not convinced McCaw is a hundred percent fit. They're their two talisman, yeah. And mm, whereas Australia, yeah, they've made some mistakes as well, haven't they? But I don't know. I get the feeling they're building better. Yeah, if if, if I had to call it now. Probably stick my money just on New Zealand, but that could be based on reputation. I, I don't know. I've um, backed against New Zealand all the time, so I've got to be consistent. I, think, I think I'm going for a New Zealand France final. I think I'm going for an Australia France final with France to win. Uh, but every week you tell me <laughs> this is your comeuppance, France are going to get yeah, it. And I, I don't think it's going to be this week. I think they're going to going to go all the way to the final. That's now, probably their death now. <laughs> well, after another brief moment of music, we'll be back with a roundup of Premier One. Well, as Premier One nears the split, things are getting quite intense around, around the drop zone, certainly, and it's probably, probably the best place to start. Um, both Hoyk and Hawks lost at the weekend scored seven points between them yeah I mean Hoyk have not scored a point now in, in two weeks they've had two zeros and that must be oh, I think the Hoyk faithful must now be looking to the the fight in what will be the post split league because only two teams survive rather than four as last year with the reduction in league sizes next year so I think Hoyk without a coach Without a point in the two games since their coach resigned, I think they've got to be looking to bring someone in now um, and do what they can to get ready for that fight. If I was in their position, I think 
to get the, the league is gone. You know, the the top eight is gone, but maybe they've got to look to that. But I think the surprise team of the year, well, at the top it's Gala, but at the bottom it's it's Glasgow Hawks. Hawks. Well, they've got seven points from seven games. They've won one and drawn one, and that one they drew. Aki's were, I think, I think it was either one they won or the one they drew, but Aki's should have won yeah. it. Um, and I think, to be honest, I think I'm on the verge, if not having done so already, of calling them in the bottom four. Well, every week well. we keep saying, or I keep saying, you know, there's still time for Hawks to, to pull out of the drop zone. I think there is still time for Hawks to pull out of the drop zone. But if they're not careful, they're going to run out of time very quickly. They're ten points off safety with four games to play. That's right. They need to start winning. They probably need to win three games at least, um, if not all four games. So they're in trouble. Um, They're most definitely in trouble. I think one of the most telling things to me is the deafening silence from Peter Wright. You know, normally Peter is all over the press giving his opinion. An opinion that's usually very entertaining. But there's been little said in the last couple of weeks. And fair enough, I mean, respect to the man. He's, he's keeping his own counsel, but that to me indicates that he's concerned, shall yeah, we say. Troubling. Another team who I don't think anybody expected to be down the bottom, and you've already mentioned that they're having trouble having lost a few players, is Harriet's, you know. they got nothing again from their home fixture against Ayr and they're in the bottom four at the moment. Yeah absolutely and there's no guarantee they'll get out of it either because uh, I mean they're seven points from safety with four games to go and they seem to be having little patches where they do okay in a game but completely unable to string together a full performance. I mean what they've won two games okay but not for a while they haven't and uh, you know they did they scored a few points towards the end of the game. They rallied a bit, but, you know, it's not good enough for them, is it? You know, they're, they're not doing the business. They're not, well, certainly not the team they were a year or two ago. Then on on the fringe of, of the um, bottom four at the moment, you've got Ackies and Sterling, and they swapped places af- at the weekend after Ackies gave uh, Sterling a bit of an easy ride, it seems. You know, Sterling came out 34-3 winners, and... And they're the form team in the league, probably. The well, they're certainly one of the form teams. They've had three good victories on the run. Um, I remember speaking to Eddie Pollock after we beat Sterling earlier in the season, and you know he was he was absolutely certain. There's time to turn this round. This is not doom and gloom. This is a good team. We can do it. I must admit, I listened to him with a tremendous amount of respect, um, but a little scepticism, and. At the moment, you know, as expected, he knows a lot more than I do. Absolutely, I mean... <laughs> so you no, weren't supposed to agree. <laughs> Sterling, I think, probably, I think, will run out of steam. I think they will drop into the bottom four. Although, it's often said that it's all about momentum. But putting my neck on the line, I'll say they'll drop into the bottom four. Who gets out? Who gets out? I think probably... Probably Aki's and maybe Harriet's, and, and I think Aberdeen are still in the fight. I, I definitely think they are, um, despite uh, you could despite say a good win over Hawks. You could say that the league's 
almost split into three now. You've probably got the top five clubs, um, maybe the top four clubs who are challenging for honours. You've got a middle three or four clubs there, and then you've got a bottom four. And I think from the bottom club's point of view, there's a worrying gap now. There's a five-point gap above the drop zone. It's up and like that. That bonus point win um, yeah. gap when there's only four games to play. It it is going to be difficult for anybody to make it out of that bottom four at the moment. But it is. I mean, you know, there's still twenty points there to play for. Um, nobody's relegated or nobody's into the bottom four yet. I mean, even Hoyk are not officially officially down. But but to to make a five point swing in just twenty with just twenty points available is and possibly you know with the Teams that are down there, you, you say bonus points are maybe a little more unlikely, so with only maybe 16 points available, yeah. it's, you're, you're getting into very dangerous territory there. Certainly, I think, Hoik, well, a lot, there were a lot of people's tip to be towards the bottom. They won't have expected it, but there were a lot of people's tip. But I don't know of anyone who tipped Hawks or Harriots to be struggling at this point in the season. I mean, certainly teams like Aberdeen, Sterling and Ackies were tipped to be down there. Even we were tipped by one or two to be down there. And we're not safe yet, although we're very, towards there. very positive um, about our season. But Heriots and Hawks? No. And don't forget, we've got to play them both yet. Absolutely. Um, I mean, in fact, the teams we have to play, three of our four games are against teams below us. Yeah, so we've got to be confident that, that we can... Blast away in the remaining weeks from the drop zone. And, well, if and, we don't, who will we have to blame? Nobody but ourselves. It is entirely in our own hands. Um, I think that that much is is clear to see. Yeah. Um, moving towards the top of the table, and possibly I have to say things were blown wide open um, with with Gala winning and Melrose losing. Well, Dundee certainly did everyone, including themselves, a big favour by by beating Melrose. I mean, I said I think it was only last week. But I expected Melrose to go unbeaten until the uh, until the break. You know, I'm really proving how stupid I am this week. But uh, that was my prediction. That also didn't come true. Um, so there's just now four points between the top three teams. Gala, without setting the heather alight, they certainly went and did a job on Hoyk and, and came away with a 14-0 victory. So, you know, it's getting tough at the top now. It's getting really tight. It very much is. Um, do you think... Uh, well, I, I, I think we should probably claim um, the credit for um, Dundee's victory. You know, we went down to, to Melrose, showed that they're not invincible, showed that they can be beaten even if we didn't quite, and then, and then Dundee stepped up. Well, you're suggesting that we softened them up, and I think that's absolutely fine to say that. I mean, certainly, I think in all honesty, ranking... Look, Mr. Rankin, Ian Rankin, looking at that result, will have <coughs> will have looked at the way Boromir play, will have looked at the way Melrose play, and will have seen that you know they're not invincible. Um, Dundee had James Fleming back, and obviously he uh, makes a big difference. He makes a big difference to them, and he puts some points on the board again. You know, so you know a good victory, a very good wi- victory for them. I mean, not a clear victory, but, you know, they were 17-0 up and then I think finished 17-13. But they held on. They won it, so, yeah. Absolutely. And then you've got Ayr and Curry both 
coming back into contention for at least the British and Irish Cup places. Well, again, they've both had a very poor start to the season and then they've found their form. Um, and that's that's worrying for some of the other teams. I mean, we obviously we got done by Curry just. We go to Millbrae on Saturday, you know, let's hope it's not the same again. But certainly they've picked up form and the teams above them now will be will know that they're snapping at their heels. Well, after this brief break, we'll be back with a look at how the second 15 and third 15 did this weekend. Um, it was perhaps unsurprising, given the weather on Saturday, that the second 15's game against Curry was called off, I think. The first 15 game possibly came under threat given how wet it was. Yeah, I mean, there was standing water on the second 15 pitch. I think, to be fair, the pitch was pretty much unplayable. Um, it was a shame because, uh, you know, it would have been a good game of rugby. It was a shame, but, you know, there's plenty of time left in the season and we'll, we'll manage to, uh, to rearrange the fixture. So, you know, that's all there was to it. But the Bears kind of held up the honour for the club and got the only win of the weekend. Um, they beat Murrayfield Wanderers 19-12. Yeah, as we discussed last week, I mean, you know, Murrayfield are a, one of those teams that we either we either really hammer them or they give us a real lot of problem. And this week they seem to to give us some problem. And again, there were a number of changes in the in the Bears setup and in the, in the team. I mean, Andy Watt made his uh, first competitive start for the club, but at uh, Scrum half for the Bears after you know training and playing with the ones through pre-season and then injuring himself. He like anyone else, you know, he's got to start where he has to start and work his way up if he wants to 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 rise through the club. But uh, there's a lot of disruption to the playing squad with the Bears, partly because they've got so many players to choose from that there has to be an element of rotation. And certainly it's looking good for the Bears in terms of their season, you know, they've had a decent start, they're looking certainly to uh, at least be mid-table. Oh, I think so, I think that, I think they can certainly look for mid-table, but I also think that they'll be ambitious to climb the table as well, I mean, you know, they've had a couple of good performances, so are some other clubs, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're in a solid position in the league, they've had some good performances, but certainly they're nobody's mug, I mean... The great thing about a club that can put out three teams regularly, and let's face it, we're close to putting out four regularly if we had the opposition. But some of the teams the Bears play, they struggle to put out a second 15. And they don't have that blend that lower team rugby thrives on. The blend of some real young kids coming through from the under-18s for the last few years, and then some old heads. I mean, Derek Murray played for the Bears I mean, you know, last season I think he played for the ones, the twos and the threes. And who knows, he may well this season. You know, so players like that and Rod Hutchison and people like this, they've been around a long time, they've played an awful lot of rugby and they know what they're doing. And when the going gets tough, when it gets to a tight situation, and by all accounts it did on Saturday, you know, Murrayfield gave us some real problems, they're the guys that you turn to to help get you out of the mire. And it's great for the youngsters to be playing alongside that. So, alongside those guys, because then they learn how to. They they learn from 
winning games rather than losing games. Absolutely, they do. And I mean, you know, they. I mean, Derek Murray. I think he started in the centre and ended up at scrum half, and that sheer versatility. Um, you know, but just that, as I say, that ability to dig in, gather the troops, and go again. And that that really the Bears make very good use of that. And I think they've got that experience available to them, and they make very good use of it. Well, time for another break, and then we'll be back with the interviews we did at the weekend with Peter Blackhall and Mike Entwistle. If we look ahead to, to next week's games, um, both the first 15 and the second 15 travel to air. Um, but it's going to be hellishly tough. Yeah, I mean, when I looked at the fixtures at the beginning of the season, those three weeks down at the Green Yards last week, at home this week to Curry, and then over at Millbrae next week, you know, they were always going to be what I thought were the three tough weeks, because the three form teams from last year, and to play them bump, 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 one after the other, that was always going to be a tough series of games. Yeah, I mean, having lost three on the bounce now, with the Gala defeat, the Melrose defeat, the Curry defeat, it's getting to a stage where it's really important for the first 15 to get a win on the board. It is, but at the same time, you know, just thinking, as you said, that it doesn't feel like three defeats on the bounce. Gala was a defeat, 
you know, we were well beaten there. That was a defeat. Both of the last two weeks, just, I don't know. Because of the positivity of the performance. Yeah, they, they, they don't feel as bad as they might. So I'm not going into this, the third of three, as I saw it, thinking, oh dearie me. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, maybe it's turn, our turn to win at Millbrae. Yeah, yeah, I've certainly a long time since we have. I think possibly the league winning season was was the last time we won. Probably was, and we've had some fairly big humiliations uh, Millbury since. Yep, but you know, I certainly don't see anything of that nature happening on Saturday. And and frankly, you know, there is no reason why we can't go there optimistically, and there is no reason why we can't win the game. And. The second 15 will be anxious to get back on the field after uh, after a week off. and They tend to have quite a good record through there. They do. They've got quite a good record at Millbrae and hopefully they'll, they'll continue it going. I mean, you know, same old record. We say it every week. The strength in depth in the Boromir squad means that the second 15 will be putting out a strong team. Don't know who'll be there yet. Don't know who'll be in the Wands. Don't know who'll be in the Bears, but... They will be putting out a strong team, and that's, you know, that's very positive. And I think they will be able to travel with real hope of a victory. And the Bears will be looking to build on their win over Murrayfield and their good start to the season. They face Kelso second fifteen at Megatland. Yeah, they've possibly got the toughest game of the weekend. I mean, Kelso, very much the form team in the league, um, a border's second fifteen. It's going to be a strong side. It's going to be a strong side. Um, and I think the Bears will have to be at their best to win that game. But I think, you know, if we spoke earlier, some experience, some youth, who knows? You know, they're, they're, not, they're not out of it by any means. I think they'll need to perform at their best. But I think they're capable of performing at their best. Absolutely. Well, that's all to look forward to this weekend. Next week's podcast will be a little different. We've got a special edition podcast for you, and it's, it'll be an in-depth interview with Bottom Your Standoff, Ali Warnock. Look forward to that. Excellent. Excellent.